everybody, welcome to this Christmas edition of Secondhand Stories. I'm your host, Jim Zabo. We have a special episode for you today, including our very first author-read submission. We're very excited about that. A few of our previous authors, after their episodes aired, expressed to me that they would have preferred to read their own stories, so we're going to give that a trial run. But first, we have two stories from Diana Lee Veli, author of Soul Proprietorship, Women in Search of Their Souls, which you can find on Amazon, and I'm going to read you two stories from that today. First up is Angel's Choice. There's a little-known fact down there on Earth, one we Christmas tree angels have kept secret for quite some time. Once upon a long time ago, Christmas tree angels were handmade cherished heirlooms. Families made us with painstaking details and treasured us for generations and generations. Then the world began to change, and people became frazzled and hurried, and fewer and fewer of us were made at home. Suddenly, we were being mass-produced, first in small workshops, then in huge factories. Our wings were made separately from our halos, and strangers who would probably never see us again put us together. They would never even recognize their finished angel. So, we Christmas tree angels decided to form a union, unfortunately for our long-suffering makers, much earlier than they ever did. We talked about our lack of humanity in the new industrial age, and decided we had to make some changes. Much of our time was spent standing around looking angelic in store shop windows and on counters. We were picked over like any other merchandise, and sometimes even dropped and broken. Gone were the days when we were lovingly created by hands that tenderly cared for us. It was decided, if we were to survive this new age, we should have some choice in the matter of where we are going to spend the rest of our lives. And so the tradition of Angel's Choice was born. I've lived in my home for over 15 years, but I will always remember my first Christmas atop her tree. Every year she treasures the time we spend together, as well as her moments with all the other ornaments. We wind down her lane of memories, breezing through past Christmases until she is dreaming gently of future carols. But I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me tell you how we met. When our union made the rule governing choice in our destinies, we still had to abide by general angel regulations. It is forbidden for Christmas tree angels to talk out loud. We were permitted the customary language of all angels, talking directly to the heart, but we thought we needed something stronger. We decided to try this for one year, and if it didn't work, we would renegotiate with management, which sometimes took eons. Off we all went into various department stores and craft shops, hoping and waiting for that perfect person to come into our visions, someone who would fulfill our wants and desires and let us meet theirs. I was placed in a card store, not a bad location, but not one I would have preferred. I had entertained visions of being placed in Bergdorf's or Bloomingdale's, after all, I had a delicate porcelain face and thin gossamer wings, but, as card stores go, this one was not bad. It was in a lovely Connecticut town, and I envisioned dreamy snow-covered scenes. I did get those snow-covered Christmases, but not in Connecticut. Again, I am jumping ahead in my story, anxious for you to know my fate. I sat in the store window for over a month. It was not until after Thanksgiving that people began to admire me and inquire as to how much I might cost. At first, I felt cheap and merchandised, but I soon realized all the angels had price tags, assuring their makers were paid. 
My wings began to get a little dusty, and my fair porcelain skin a little gray. What was an angel to do? I did not see one person who caught my eye or looked interesting enough to spend a lifetime in their company. One day, I was abruptly taken out of the window. A huge, jolly Santa Claus was put in my place, with winking eyes and a shaking belly. I was placed on a top shelf, too fragile to be left on the counter. Many people inquired about my price tag, but gasped and said I was much too expensive for an ornament. Ornament? What did they know about Christmas tree angels anyway? One gray, cold, rainy night, a horrible thing happened after the store closed. People were in there cleaning, and a broom hit the shelf, toppling me from my pedestal. I fell with a crash, broke my wrist, bent my wings, messed my hair, and, worst of all, smashed the magic wand I held in my hand. The poor old man who knocked me down gently placed me back on the shelf, vainly attempted to brighten me up, and swept away the broken pieces of my magic wand. I cried most of the night, knowing no one would want me now. Even if I spoke out loud and not directly to their hearts, mine was a hopeless case. I was marked down the next day and taken off the top shelf. From then on, I was handled and mishandled, but no one even showed a remote interest in taking me home, and neither was there anyone I wanted to pursue. Then, she walked in five days before Christmas. Dina was her name, and she looked sad. I couldn't imagine what she was so worried about, with Christmas right around the corner and snow beginning to fall outside. Is it going to be just the kind of Christmas dreams are made of, if I could only find a home? I was so disappointed when she passed me by and went straight to the Hanukkah cards. My luck, the first person I wanted to talk to appeared not to believe in Christmas, but then she stopped and looked in my direction. Oh, I love you, I love you, I whispered to Dina's heart. Take me home, take me home, please. She picked me up with such reverence, I thought I would faint and not be able to carry on my conversation with her. I knew she had heard me. I was certain. She smoothed my hair and wiped the dust off my cheeks, revealing their rosy glow. I was radiant. She looked at the broken stick where I once held my magic wand, and I could hear her heart contemplating many different issues. She was a deep one, all right. She was worrying about everything. Her arm moved in the direction of putting me back on the shelf, and I cried out, No! So loudly, it broke angel regulations and could be heard out loud. She looked at me quizzically, and I was sure she had heard. I was saved! She tucked me in her basket and walked over to the Hanukkah decorations. She found a white ceramic star of David and played with the idea of putting it on the tip of the stick that used to hold my magic wand. Suddenly. I felt more magical than ever. Oh yes, oh yes, take me home. I can be a truly non-denominational angel. I can bring peace and brotherhood to all. I can teach people to love, not to hate. I can be so much more than just another pretty face. Take me home, Dina. Take me home. You are my destiny. It will work. I promise you, it will work. She really managed to bring out the best in me. With my final plea to her heart, I was quickly bought and paid for, along with the Star of David and various Christmas and Hanukkah cards. 
I learned on the ride home all about her. She'd married her childhood sweetheart and had two grown children. Her husband had died years ago, and she was terrified of the future. Christmas in Vermont was not the same without him. I was the reassurance she needed. When she placed me on the top of her Christmas tree, with the Star of David firmly attached to the tip of my wand, I felt the magic. I realized that Vermont would be my new home, and this family was mine. Now I watch Dina light Christmas candles beside the menorah as she welcomes guests and family from every religion and every season to her Vermont home. I assure them, love is the only answer, as I stand atop her tree proudly proclaiming my message. So the next time you pass a Christmas tree angel, and she cries out to you with pleading eyes, stop and think. Maybe she's exercising her angel's right to choose, and maybe, just maybe, she will change your life forever. That was Diana Lee Velie's story, Angel's Choice. Diana Lee Velie is the poet laureate of Newberry, New Hampshire, where she lives and writes. She's a graduate of Sarah Lawrence College and has a Master's of Arts in Writing from Manhattanville College, where she has served as faculty advisor of Inkwell, a literary magazine. She has taught poetry, memoir, and short story at universities and colleges in New York, Connecticut, and New Hampshire and in private workshops throughout the United States, Canada, and Europe. Her award-winning poetry and short stories have been published into hundreds of literary journals, and many have been translated into Italian. She enjoys traveling to rural school systems in Vermont and New Hampshire, teaching poetry for the Children's Literacy Foundation. Her play, Mama Says, was directed by Daniel Quinn in a staged reading in New York City. She's the author of five books of poetry, Glass House, First Edition, The Many Roads to Paradise, The Alchemy of Desire, Ever After, and a collection of short stories, Sole Proprietorship, Women in Search of Their Souls. She's a member of the Vermont branch of the National League of American Pen Women, the New England Poetry Club, the International Women Writers Guild, the New Hampshire Poetry Society, and founder of the John Hay Poetry Society. Next up, we have another short one from her story collection, again titled Soul Proprietorship, Women in Search of Their Souls, which is available on Amazon. This story is called Silent Night. Not much was new in the Christiani household this Yule. The house was decorated and festive, and they would put the tree up tonight as soon as everyone arrived home. Mary, exhausted after a long day at the office, stepped out onto the deck for a breath of the chilly night air. A starless gray lavender blanket covered the heavens, serenely tucking in the moon and the stars for this evening. A pale pink aura escaped the horizon like an insuppressible dream. Mary sighed, lit a cigarette, and thought about taking painting lessons in the spring. Joe and the kids would probably think she was being silly. The phone rang inside and shattered her thoughts. It was Joe, calling to say he'd be home a little later than expected. Mary knew in her heart he was having an affair, but what good would a confrontation do? Just last night, Joe had stood out on the same deck 
for what seemed like a very long time. Life for him seemed just perfect. His job paid him more money than he ever dreamed he would make. He loved his wife and adored his latest girlfriend, even though lately she had been hinting at the possibility of his leaving Mary. It might be time to break it off. But it could wait. Right now, the solitary star in the night sky seemed to blaze in his glory. The air was still and black and motionless, as if it dared not breathe and disturb the precarious balance. Their son, Justin, was now on his way home, furious with the burdensome weight of adolescence. He walked home beneath the same sky under which his mother dreamt. He looked up into the barren sky where the moon and stars had been given the night off. The sky just glared back oppressively. Sullen, silent, and eerie, the heavens appeared encased in a shroud. He tried not to think about his girlfriend's abortion. The alcohol was helping. His sister, Felicia, had just arrived home, anxious and eager to decorate the tree. Last night had been wonderful. Her first formal dance left her with a lingering radiant glow. She and her date had stood with their arms around each other, and the heavens smiled down on them. One star, no moon, and a warm, rosy sheen embraced the landscape. The friendly, blinking star radiated in the black sky as distant members of the solar system decided not to compete. She was content in her innocence. The family, finally all together, strung the tangled lights upon the tree and placed each memory-filled ornament on with loving care. Memories filled the silent room as Joe lifted his grown daughter to replace the angel atop the tree. They wished each other a Merry Christmas, exchanged gifts of love, and went their separate ways, each encompassed like an individual glass ornament surrounded with their own memories. Mary went upstairs to put away her gifts. She sprayed on her favorite perfume, a gift from Felicia, and opened the box of potpourri that Justin had made himself. The scent of fragrant spices filled the room. She held the gold and diamond earrings up to her ears and watched them glitter in the mirror. She wondered if Joe had picked them out himself. Outside, in the chilled night air, the black sky still imprisoned the moon and the stars. Okay, thanks to Diana Lee for those great stories. Now we're very excited to present to you our first author-read submission, Kathy McMullen's story, Secret Santa Club. Kathy has studied fictional anthropology for many years. Her research often focuses on the slightly peculiar, yet strangely familiar folks of Pleasant Arms and the Cinder Blocks, Pleasant Arms' neighboring poor relation, both for part of the fictional belt surrounding Seattle, Washington. Some of McMullen's research results are being compiled into Emma Mulberry's whole story, a novel, Kathy McMullen's Secret Santa Club. Secret Santa Club by Kathy McMullen. Fifth grader Emma Mulberry first heard whispers of Bernadette and Angie's Secret Santa Club the first Monday of Advent. Over the next few days, while she shivered waiting for the morning bell or in the four square line at recess, 
She observed Angie and Bernadette recruiting. Bonnie was recruited. So were Greta, Winnie, and Jennifer F. Emma was pretty sure that Lori S. and Terry B. were as well. So were Mary J., Mary K., and Mary M. Even Dole Geraldine got approached. It seemed the only girls not invited into the club were Squinty Pam, comatose hair in her eyes Christine, who couldn't read the simplest sentence from People of God, We Walk with Jesus, without stumbling, the girls who galloped across the playground pretending to be horses, and Emma. On her walk home Wednesday, Emma spied Bonnie, Greta, and Winnie ahead on the corner, chatting and acting important. She knew right away what they were going on about. She considered charging forward with vigorous enthusiasm, saluting gaily, and rushing jauntily by. Instead, she stooped to pull up her knee socks, then pretended her shoe had come undone. She counted to ten, then peered out over her brown lace-ups. They were still at it. She retied her other shoe, then peered again. Bonnie waving Greta and Winnie goodbye. Emma jogged up. What were you, Greta and Winnie, talking about? Burst from her lips. Bonnie hurried along like she was going to miss some ABC after-school special. She tried to steer the conversation around to whose parent, Emma's dad or Bonnie's mom, would drive them to basketball practice. Emma sashayed sideways, like a crab, keeping Bonnie in her sights. She was good at sashaying. They did a drill at basketball very similar. You don't have to act like I don't know. Bonnie picked up her pace. Emma sped to a crab jog. Her knee socks were falling down again, but she didn't stop to make adjustments. I know all about it, Emma said. Fine, good. Then I don't need to say. We used to be friends, Bonnie. Good friends. Emma's shout rang out over the frosty housetops as Bonnie fled. The next day, Angie approached, all shimmery blonde page boy and high wattage brown eyes. Me and Bernie are doing this really cool thing. Angie was the shortest girl in fifth grade. Emma, who wasn't particularly tall, felt off-balance and clumsy around her, like she was wearing stilts. Emma stepped back. Her left heel struck the toe of her right foot. She tried not to wince. Yes? Angie might be getting ready to invite her into the club, but it was just as likely that Angie and Bernadette wanted advice on a geography project. Angie lit up brighter. Maybe no one had told her about the energy crisis and that people needed to conserve. The Secret Santa gift exchange. We wanted to invite you earlier, but you were always so busy. We never got a chance. No, that's not true. You thought you could find enough Secret Santa girls elsewhere. Emma wanted to say that, 
but Angie's ultra-bright toothpaste smile was pelting her with nuclear beta rays, paralyzing her argument muscles. You want to join? Angie cooed. Emma's heart pounded, her underarms felt damp, and her palms clammy. Don't you want to? Angie's tongue flicked between her teeth. A voice told Emma, no, don't trust Angie. You're not a cheapskate, are you? Angie was afire with laughter and jollity. No, sure I want to join. The next morning, Emma boldly inserted her shivering self into the secret Santa huddle. She stood shoulder to shoulder with Bonnie and Winnie. A little ways distant, comatose Christine flat-footed across the hopscotch squares. Pam sat on a curb reading. The galloping girls fed each other handfuls of pretend hay. Emma shuddered to think that last month, or even yesterday, she might have been okay playing with the galloping girls or reading on the curb alongside Pam. Bernadette, who was large-boned and commanding, she had been wearing a real bra, not the training kind since fourth grade, explained how the club would work. You should give something once a week and one big gift at the end. The secret Santas edged in close as Bernadette listed the gifts each girl might receive. Emma's mouth watered. All the gifts sounded good. Bonnie Bell lip gloss, Hallmark quality Christmas ornaments, spray bottles of Gina Tay, even smiley face pens, chocolate bars, and fat sticks of peppermint sounded nice. Winnie wrote down everyone's name on scraps of notebook paper. Bernadette folded the scraps and placed the dozen names in Angie's cupped hands. Then each girl drew from the chalice. Only as Emma reached in did the secret Santa responsibilities dawn on her. She unfolded her scrap. Terry B. was written in Winnie's well-mannered cursive. Emma sighed, thankful she hadn't drawn Bernadette or Angie. Terry was only a second-tier girl. She didn't have the power to turn all the other girls against her if Emma screwed up. Days passed while Emma pondered the secret Santa gift problem. She pondered it sitting on her bed while the sewing machines were and sounds from the Mike Douglas show drifted up from the basement. Mom working on Christmas outfits for Emma and her sisters. She pondered it while crowded in the stairwell with other immaculate grade school fifth graders for weekly Advent celebrations, passionately warbling O Come, O Come, Emmanuel in her reedy contralto. She pondered it while comatose Christine stumbled through sentences in People of God. Her gift list was already so long. Her siblings, parents, grandparents, the aunts and uncles, all the cousins. She couldn't afford store-bought gifts for everyone already on her list, let alone Terry B. She thought about the embroidered handkerchiefs she was making for Dad, the embroidered bird pillow she was making for Mom, the smiley face litter bags she was making for the grandparents, aunts, and uncles. She still hadn't figured out gifts for her several siblings or her two million cousins. 
What am I going to do? She asked her sister Joan on their walk to school. I don't know. Get a gift? I don't have money. I only get 50 cent a week allowance. Make something then. I'm maxed out on making things. You wanted to join, Joan said. They were coming up on Winnie's house. Jennifer F. stood out front. Emma lowered her voice. I didn't think it would be so hard. The sisters waved at Jennifer and continued on. Emma leaned close and whispered in Joan's ear. Yesterday she got a stuffed koala bear. They walked on. Winnie got packets of bubble bath powder. Mary Kay got Russell Stover's. You got a Lifesaver storybook, Joan reminded her. I know. The Lifesaver's gift had sunk Emma into deeper worry. What am I going to do, Joan? Regift the Lifesavers? They'll know. Plus, I was thinking that could be Johnny's Christmas present. Johnny was Emma and Joan's brother. He no longer lived at home, but Emma still needed to get him a present. Do you think I could make something with the beads from Petra's campfire girl vest? Maybe. What would you make? The furrow in Emma's brow deepened. A Christmas ornament? Or maybe a bracelet? Now Joan's face twisted up. Or maybe a coin purse from vinyl left over from the litter bags. I thought that's what you were making us. Emma sighed. I know. I was. Thursday evening at basketball practice, Emma's gift-giving problem intensified. She still hasn't given you anything? Jennifer F. asked during a drill in which Emma and her teammates passed basketballs back and forth. Nope, Terry B. said. That's outrageous, Winnie said. Have you talked to Angie or Bernadette? Greta asked. What are they supposed to do? Terry asked in a querulous tone. Maybe her secret Santa can't afford it, Jennifer F. said. She shouldn't have joined then. Bernadette explained what the rules were. Winnie shot the ball at Emma, who bounced past to Geraldine. Emma's pass lacked oomph. The ball thudded and rolled. She had been trying to keep a poker face, and it was hard to pass well. She just wants to get something for nothing, Geraldine said as she scooped up the ball. Mom was putting old people to bed at Cinder Sun Nursing Home when Emma arrived home from basketball. Dad and Emma's sisters were engrossed in the Waltons. She sneaked past them to the fabric cupboard. She snipped off a piece of brown corduroy and another of white dotted Swiss fabric. Then she rearranged stuff so the corduroy and dotted Swiss were on the bottom of the pile. With luck, Mom might not notice for months. Back in her room, she cut out a stocking shape with the dotted Swiss and a fur trim with the brown corduroy. Then she hand-sewed the tiny stocking together. Thanks to all her practice sewing litter bags and embroidering handkerchiefs and bird pillows, she whipped it together pretty fast. With each stitch, the stocking's uniqueness and cuteness 
increased. The Walton's watchers were all abed when she tiptoed into the living room and rummaged through the secretary. She needed something to put in the stocking. She found a handful of Hershey's kisses. Taking them was safe. They were at the back of the drawer where Mom was unlikely to miss them. The next morning, she showed her creation to Joan. She had grown quite fond of it. The spot on the heel where she had sewed too close to the edge didn't seem a mistake, but something that gave the stocking character. Great! Joan admired Emma's tiny, neat stitches. She was mum about the threads poking out of the heel. Emma's heart swelled. The dotted Swiss and corduroy stocking should stop the cheapskate rumors. Just before the tardy bell, she approached Terry's desk. She reached into her pocket. Her fingers touched on ridged corduroy and nubs of dotted Swiss. The stocking felt flat. She fished it out. The hole in the heel had grown to ginormous dimensions. The corduroy and dotted Swiss looked like two bits of rag patched together. Emma shoved it back down into her pocket. She glanced out at her classmates. All of them were still hanging up coats. She dredged along the pocket seam for the kisses and dumped them into Terry's desk. At recess, she got in the four-square line. The secret Santas crowded around Terry as they waited for their turn. Angie peered at the small number of kisses in Terry's palm. That's all she got you? Yep, Terry said. The foil is linty, Bonnie observed. Winnie crossed her arms in front of her already ample bosom. They look about ten years old. She could have at least made chocolate chip cookies, Greta said. Mary Kay knocked the four-square ball out of bounds. Emma's turn was next. She stepped into Mary Kay's vacated square. Bernadette unwrapped a chocolate. She sniffed and raised it to eye level. It's diseased. It's got spots. White spots. Leprosy spots. The three Marys screeched. Doll-sized Angie vaulted up onto Bernadette's plus-sized shoulder. Ew, don't eat it! Don't worry. Bernadette coolly wrapped the kiss back up in the foil. I won't. What a cheapskate, Greta said. The ball shot into Emma's square. She dove toward it gracelessly and slapped it with wooden hands. The ball spun out of bounds past the four-square players, past comatose Christine twining a strand of brown hair around her finger, and past the pastures of the galloping girls. Emma ran after it, skinny legs flying, plaid uniform skirt flapping, hot tears flowing. She wanted the ball to keep going, out of the parking lot, down the street, past all the houses, her shoes slapping on gravel, Slipping across the frozen puddles, she would run after it forever. You took them without tasting them first? Joan asked that afternoon over bowls of maple walnut ice cream. I thought they'd be okay. The secretary is where Mom stores things, Joan reminded her. Emma stirred her ice cream. 
I forgot. Maybe you should quit. I can't. Then I'll be stuck with the gallopers. I don't want to be a horse. But the Secret Santa girls are mean. They're not mean, just strict. Joan shook her head. I've seen how they treat Christine and that girl who reads on the curb. Pam? Yeah. Well, maybe. Emma's lips closed around a spoonful of maple walnut. She let the ice cream melt on her tongue. But anyway, I've got one more chance. She ran to her room and returned with a soup can and a heart-shaped box. The box had once held chocolates. It had been a Valentine's gift from one of their sister Liza's admirers. Emma held out the box. Pretty nice, huh? Yeah, Joan said. Liza gave it to me. It will be even nicer after I fix it up. I'm going to decorate it with eggshells like we did in Girl Scouts. Emma shook the soup can. The eggshells rustled. It's going to be the best gift ever. Joan peered in. Emma spooned up more maple walnut. See, it's already half full. Emma was blissfully unaware of Joan's uncertain smile or the maple walnut dribbling down her sweater. More days passed. Another Advent stairway celebration came and went. The last evening before Christmas vacation arrived. After dinner, Dad left to fix Grandma Mulberry's sink. Mom was working at Cinderson. The dishwasher hummed and chugged. Downstairs, Emma's sisters watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Emma got out the heart-shaped box and the soup can. The can smelled weird, like the inside of a damp rubber glove, but she told herself the smell would go away. She smashed the eggshells with a rolling pin set them to soak in the food coloring, and ran downstairs to the fabric cupboard for more dotted Swiss. On the TV, Charlie hung an ornament on his droopy tree. Linus wrapped his blanket around its spindly trunk. She cut two dotted Swiss hearts and carefully folded in all the raw edges. She glued one heart to the box's bottom and sides and the other to the underside of the lid. Then she trained her scissor blades on a poinsettia from Sunset Magazine. The Charlie Brown special ended. Dad returned from fixing Grandma Mulberry's sink. Joan came upstairs for ice cream. Something smells, Joan said. It'll go away. Emma glued another sliver of red eggshell onto the heart-shaped box. She hummed the Christmas Time is Here song. Tomorrow... The secret Santas would forget all about the rancid kisses. They would be in awe of Emma's eggshell mosaic box, just like the Peanuts gang was in awe of Charlie Brown's tree. It just took believing. That was what changed the ordinary into the extraordinary. It was almost eleven when she glued on the final bit of eggshell. She took chocolate chips, raisins, marshmallows, and salted nuts and wrapped them in cling wrap. She was careful not to take so many of anything that Mom would notice. She tasted each ingredient. The chocolate chips were perfectly fine. She detected no white spots. The marshmallows were hard, but completely edible. 
tasty even. Emma tried to work quickly. Mom would be home from Cinderson soon. But her movements were sluggish, and her eyes kept closing. The treat didn't look festive exactly, but it didn't look too bad. The only problem was the smell. She waved the box around, then ran to the medicine cabinet for perfume. She couldn't find any, so she used hairspray. The next morning, she dosed the box with more white rain. She inhaled the box's clean chemical odor, a smell midway between a value mart and a Rexall, a safe smell. She laid the candy on the white bed of dotted Swiss and covered it with the poinsettia-decorated, heart-shaped lid. Terry held out the candy at morning recess. Look what my secret Santa gave me, she said with mock enthusiasm. More special treats? Greta asked. It looks like Halloween. No, Woolworth leftovers, Winnie said. No, Laurie S. said. A super bargain reject. Emma winced. Inside the wrinkled wrapping, the nuts, chocolate chips, and marshmallows looked trapped and sad. She regretted not adorning the treat with ribbon. She should have done more than not the ends of the plastic wrap. But everything would be fine once Terry showed them the box. Angie elbowed her way toward Terry. Cheap oh! She grabbed the plastic wrap treats and held them aloft. She really expects you to eat that? Geraldine asked. Bonnie shuddered. I wouldn't. Who can trust her, Jennifer F. said, especially after that last gift. Bernadette shook her head. Some people just don't get the message. Bonus points for the rap job, though. She twirled her index finger. Saran, wow. Her eyes shot withering beta rays at Emma. But that's not even the worst, Angie said. Show them the worst. Terry pulled a plastic bag from her coat pocket. She slid the heart-shaped box out from the rumpled bag. The secret Santa stared. Where do you get a box like that? Winnie asked. What's that blobby red thing? Greta asked. It's a poinsettia, Emma whispered. The Mexican Christmas flower. Wait! Angie waved her arms. It gets worse! Smell! You've got to smell! Emma's heart was in her throat. The white rain effect must have worn off. The secret Santas marched toward Terry. Nostrils flared. Emma prayed for Mount Rainier to blow or for an earthquake to swallow her. The three Marys got to within sniffing distance of the box and reeled backwards. Ew! Winnie, Greta, and Bonnie did the same. Then it was Lori, Jennifer F., and Dole Geraldine's turn. It wasn't fair, Emma thought. Her gift was nice. It didn't smell as bad as the secret Santas were saying. Angie snatched the box from Terry and hugged it to her chest. I've just got to have this. She shimmied and looped the box in a figure eight. It's mine, all mine. Oh, but it's mine, Bernadette said. I want it. Let's share, Angie said. Okay, let's, 
Bernadette said. Bernadette and Angie high-fived. They did the hustle and the bump. Bernadette's big butt bumped with Angie's little butt. Then they rushed the secret Santas. They held the box under their noses. Want a stinky valentine, they asked. The secret Santas laughed and shied away. What's the matter? Too stinky for you? Yes, yes, too stinky, the secret Santas said. Comatose Christine wandered over from her hopscotch game. Here, Christine, Santa brought you something. Angie held out the box. The secret Santas giggled. Oh, that's pretty. Christine smiled. She held out her hand uncertainly. She wants it, Angie gasped. Can you believe she wants it? I swear I'm going to pee. The secret Santas staggered with laughter. Tears ran from their eyes. They held on to each other to keep from falling down. Emma shook her head. Joan was right. The secret Santas were not her friends. She thought of the ornaments hanging from Charlie Brown's droopy tree. The ornaments on that tree did not stand up on their own. They stood up because Charlie Brown believed. That's what turned his tree into something grand. Emma stepped toward Angie and Bernadette. The ground swayed. She seized the heart-shaped box. What? Angie looked stunned. I'm taking my present back. Bernadette laughed, but Emma heard it for what it was, hollow and cold, with no power to zap. She turned from Angie and Bernadette and the secret Santas and placed the poinsettia-decorated, heart-shaped box in Christine's outstretched hands. That wraps up our Christmas episode. Thanks for slowing down and listening up with us today. Special thanks to Diana Lee Belly for sending us a copy of her novel and for Kathy McMullen for reading her own story today. Also, special thanks to Stories, Stories, Stories and Pantsless Griffin Man for our first two iTunes reviews. They seem like cool people, and you should join them in giving us a rating and review on iTunes. It'll really help more people find out about the show. We'll be back with more secondhand stories after the new year. So slow down, listen up, and happy holidays.